Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding, Interview Edition, recorded Thursday, September 24th, 2015. This is Paul Koska, owner of Brick and Brack Games, and I am your host for tonight's episode of the Game of Crowdfunding. A quick shout out to Adam C., who supports all us geeks over on Patreon. Thanks so much, Adam. You're awesome. If you'd like a shout out too, make sure to check out the Patreon page. There should be a link in the show notes. And now, on to the interview. And who is joining me this evening on Google Hangouts? Nick Sauer from Shooting Game Games. Welcome, Nick. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you. Now, uh, Nick's got a game on Kickstarter right now, right as we're speaking. Uh, no previews, nothing like that. It is live. It is going. And we're going to be talking about this Kickstarter project and the game itself a little later on in the interview. Um, but if you've listened to us before, you know that first we have to reach into the vaults and pull out the patented Jeff King warm-up questions. So let's get to know Nick a little bit here. Um, first question, Nick. We know that you make games, obviously. That's why you're here. But when you're not making games, what do you do for a living? Oh, you mean my day job? Um, I'm a scientist professionally. Well, that's a pretty that's a pretty broad category. What uh, what kind of science do you do, or or is it classified? Oh no, it's not classified. I, I work in telecom. I'm uh, I was at Bell Labs for 29 years, and I recently moved to a startup that a former Bell Labs colleague uh, that I worked with in the past started. Okay, so it's um, more technological science. Yeah, I've, I've mostly where I'm, I'm. I'm a scientist in myself, but I work. I like working with electrical engineers and engineers in general. I find them more entertaining, personally. Okay. So, well, you just offended a lot of scientists out there, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> scientists are cool too. No, they, it's too late. It's too late. They're all crying now. Um, so you're scientist during the day and game maker at night, but this is, of course. All us geeks. So the question must be asked: What makes you a geek? Besides the obvious, but you know, besides the fact that you make games, even besides the fact that you're a scientist, what makes you a geek? Uh, my entire life, basically, I've always been. Um, I've been playing games for since I was like, I guess, like 15 years old. I've read comic books. I today read pulp magazines. Uh, I think Godzilla is pretty cool. Um, watch a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy TV shows, as I'm fond of saying. If it's got monsters or spaceships in it, I'm pretty much there. Um, pretty much my entire life. See, so I have a, a question about the Godzilla thing. Um, I like Godzilla. I think he's all right. But I, I feel like people who are really into Godzilla, like there's, there's not so much middle ground. Like if you're really into Godzilla, then you're just like 100% into Godzilla. Can you give me some perspective as to what what it is about the big green lizard that really like is such a touchstone for people? For, I, I don't know. I just uh, boy, that's uh, that's a tough question. I, it's, I don't know. I always sort of assumed it had to do with just the, the you know the raw power of, the, of, of him. You know, he's pretty much indestructible. You know, he basically does whatever he pleases. You know, and it's pretty much impossible to stop this. Sort of, sort of a, the ultimate power fantasy, as it were, I guess. 
All right. See, that's a good, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. That gives me some perspective. Um, cause I, I yeah, I, 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 I enjoy it. It's all right. But I, I, yeah, like I said, I feel like people who are just really into it and I'm sure someone here is listening is really frustrated at me for, um, for even questioning <laughs> the great green lizard. Um, now to, uh, to continue reaching in the vault of questions here, do you have any geek level passions? For anything that most people might not consider geeky. Well, uh, my, my knee-jerk reaction to that question is, why would I bother? But actually, I do, in fact, have one. Um, that is, um, I've always been fascinated with uh, anti-counterfeiting measures on paper money. It's as crazy as that sounds. I've, I've liked, I actually have like paper notes from various time periods, and I've just always just... Uh, just really curious about it. Like, you know, how do you make this stuff? I mean, money, I guess, is kind of abstract to me in the first place a little bit. So the idea that you would have to obviously, you know, make it so that people just can't run off like tons of it and, you know, for themselves and, and not destroy your economy is, is kind of intriguing, I guess. So I've always been curious how, how do you, how do you go building something that prevents that from happening? See, Nick, this is, this is how action movies start. You're in the prologue right now and you're the scientist <laughs> who has this fascination with uh, counterfeiting measures on bills. And, you know, five years down the line, you're going to create this perfect counterfeit bill and then get kidnapped by a terrorist. This is, <laughs> this is how this begins. Yeah. You can say you knew me when, right? <laughs> yeah. Alan Rickman will come in and then Bruce Willis will have to save you. And That's right, yeah. <laughs> there'll be a lot of dead bodies and it's all, it all starts right here. So what, um, to kind of go down the rabbit hole then what are some of the more interesting things that, that stuff that really intrigues you, like maybe particular measures or, or things on bills that you find really fascinating. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of leap out. Um, in Brazil, they did a, uh, their, their notes called the real, and they actually did a polymer one that you could actually see through. There was like a clear window in it, which I thought was really a neat idea. Um, I actually don't have one. I've always wanted to get one of those. They're, they're really neat looking. But um, I actually, our newest um, bill, our newest 100, has a honest to God hologram on it, which is, you know, it, that doesn't sound like much until you realize this thing has to withstand like being basically crumpled into a tiny ball and run through the washing machine and come out like still being a hologram on it. So that's kind of a that's not a trivial problem to solve. And see, most of us don't make enough money to actually encounter hundred dollar bills. Um, but I will oh. take your word for it. Oh, it'll get down to the 20s, I'm sure. It's, it's just a matter of time. When it gets down to the $1 bill, then I'll see. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> Aside from those those passions, what drives you to do what you do? Now, what you're here for, what drives you to make games? Why not um, write comics? Why not uh, submit to pulp magazines or... Um, make your own Godzilla in the backyard out of counterfeit bills. <laughs> um, I, I guess I, I just the gaming is one hobby. It's been with me my entire life. Board gaming, and I actually did role playing, and you know, did the collectible card thing when Magic came out, of course. Um, and uh, you know, I guess that's just always been with me. So it's kind of, I've always been working on designs more or less my entire life. I've got a, as I as I'm fond of saying, I have a closet full of stuff I really never want to look at again. So. That's, uh, you know, I finally, I guess with Looting Atlantis, um, I finally got to something I thought was actually really good. So, so I guess it's playing with other, you know, looking at all these games and playing with other people's concepts and stuff. 
wanted to make my own. So do you know what the very first game you ever made is? Oh, well, that's a good question. Um, it, I'm guessing it must have been Private Wars. Actually, an old high school friend of mine recently found my copy of it. It was in one of his games he was going through. And he actually sent me a PDF of it, and oh my god, it was a, it was actually in response to Car Wars. If you look at the history of the very first Car Wars game, they actually have a little history in the front that talks about you know what the world's like. And they mentioned this television show, Private Wars. So, and I was a big Car Wars chunky. Well, okay, was would imply I stopped being one. That's a bad statement. Um, the uh, but uh, they mentioned so they mentioned this game, Private Wars. And I said oh, I can make a game, so I built that, and it's it's a uh, it's like a game show it's like imagine the price is right gone horribly wrong and with weapons you know that's kind of what it was like sounds pretty cool to me what was so bad about it <laughs> uh, i'd say it's just an arena combat type game i don't know it's it's i don't know looking at it it's uh, it's kind of embarrassing to look at stuff from your childhood i guess but it actually you know, my wife diane my wife looked at it and she actually didn't think it was horrible so maybe i don't know maybe there was something there but i just never really went anywhere with it i'm sure game would run the kickstarter for you um <laughs> Now, in terms of the modern age, um, we, besides the game that we're talking about this evening, do you have other designs, you know, as, as an adult, as a, a full-grown counterfeiting scientist? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, um, I've got um, uh, Born to Serve, actually, is a game I was working on prior to this, and Looting Atlantis kind of followed that. But um, And we originally were going to do... Um, Born to Serve as our first board game for shooting in games. But um, um, now that's a game that involves, um, to give you the elevator pitch on it, is that you're basically, the good news is you're all superheroes. The bad news is the government just decided to stop funding your supergroup due to, the, due to recent budget cuts. So you're all basically trying to get a job to maintain your superheroic lifestyle, which involves trying to get the one waiting job at the local restaurant. So that was, that was kind of the, that's kind of the theme of it. And, and we, um, we're going to do that, but then um, Looting Atlantis came along, and that was, you know, I felt it, we felt a stronger design, and, we ran, and more people reacted to it better, so we ran with that. But um, I've got other things in my back of my head too, like um, I've got a, I, I've got this like cooperative mammoth hunt game I'm kind of playing with right now. Um, gosh, and Pin, Pinball Palace is one of Diana's designs that we're working on. Um, you know. Bunches of stuff. I'd ultimately like to do a game called Dark Dungeons based on that very famous uh, chick track, actually. But that's that's all far future stuff, I guess, for that. Now, when we say we, let's um, let's take a step back and just explain this uh, that um, Shoot Again Games uh, is not just you, correct? That's correct. It's actually more Diane than me. Diane actually really is the, the, the sort of the, the engine that drives the, the – she does all the heavy lifting for the company. She, Diane being? My wife, Diane Sauer. I'm sorry. She'll appreciate the introduction. Hi, Diane. Um, <laughs> so you and your wife uh, somehow managed to run a company without, um, without divorce. <laughs> we, get along, we get along very well, actually. So. <laughs> Now, for for you, um, let's let's kind of look at at that aspect of it. So, why for you did you make the decision to publish your own games as opposed to shopping around to other people um, to publish for you? Um, well, as you as you'd mentioned in um, like one of the previous interviews, um, 
you know, pub- publishers will actually basically morph a game to whatever they need for their product line. So you lose a lot of creative control. But I've actually um, had experience in the past. I had um, I was jointly published with a um, designer named Mike Fitzgerald for a game called Mystery Army Al Capone that was based on a, a Mystery Army game, card game I came up with. And But by the time that came out, it was just totally changed. It's, it's really the, the original game it was based upon is completely unrecognizable in the final product. So I did have experience with that firsthand, but... Um, and we did sort of try to shop um, Born to Serve around a bit and got really kind of no interest from anyone I elevator pitched to. So, you know, we just decided, I guess, Diane got the idea, let's, let's just run it with Kickstarter showing up to give this all a shot for ourselves and run the stuff ourselves. Again, maintaining it gives you the ability to maintain, maintain total creative control over your product. Well, we'll talk about... Um your journey is into Kickstarter in just a moment, but but first, just kind of switch gears for a moment. What kind of games do you like to play in your free time when you're not playing your own games? What do you play? Yeah, it's less and less of that, it seems. Um, the, um, mo- um, I want to say Euro, but there's it's really a little bit beyond that. Like we like Vegas Showdown a lot. Um, Sid, uh, we're big, I'm a big Sid Saxon fan, for those who don't know who he is. He's the guy who did Acquire and Can't Stop. and uh, so He's a really, really famous designer from the past. Um, but, you know, so we like Vegas Showdown, Ta- Takanako. Um, I like some of the more longer and complex stuff like Battlestar Galactica, although our Sunday group isn't really into that stuff. Um, you know, economic games like McMulty, well, actually it's called Crude now, um, yeah, Alhambra. I'm just looking at my shelf here. Ticket to Ride. We like. Um, I'm a huge Cosmic Encounter fan. I can't not say that. I love Cosmic Encounter. See, we we uh, we've played a couple games of Battlestar Galactica. Basically, we have one friend who um, who knows all the bits about it, like when the ships move and things like that, and pushing the pieces around the board. Uh, and we just lie to each other and throw cards <laughs> around and 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 shove each other through the airlock. <laughs> yes, 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 used to happen a lot in that game. Yeah. We're not, we're not especially sophisticated. <laughs> now let's, um, let's get back to Kickstarter itself. So sure. the game that we're speaking about, Looting Atlantis, is not Shoot Again Games' first adventure into Kickstarter. Is that correct? That's correct. This is, this is our third Kickstarter, actually. So when, when you're listening at home, when you go to the Looting Atlantis. Kickstarter page, which you should, obviously, if you're listening to this, then you should. Um, the first thing I'd like you to notice is that under Shoot Again Games, we have three created and then 139 backed. And I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say you did not back at full price for the game all 139 of those titles. Oh, um, right. Yeah, I, yeah, I, really, that many. I didn't hadn't looked. Uh, I, I hadn't appreciated we back that many. <laughs> to be honest, I, I, um, wow, I don't know. I, I see. This is again Diane managers. I, I, I'll pick stuff, and Diane's really the one that for shooting and back stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm. Yeah, I hadn't appreciated we did that many. I'm sorry. Which, no, 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 it's okay oh, because sorry. this is really important <laughs> for. You know, if if you are at home and you are thinking about putting together a Kickstarter campaign of your own, the more you back, 
the better it is. The more credibility you build because you don't have to go and buy a hundred games, right? You don't have to back all of these projects at full price. What you have to do is pay a dollar. You pay a dollar and then you get the updates. You get, you know, to comment if you want, you get, you know, the inside access. And that is so important because as backers, the last thing, the very last thing in the world you want to see is a game that looks good, but it says first created zero backed. Because what that tells backers is that you have, you know, you may have a cool idea for a game, but you have no idea what the hell Kickstarter is about. Right, right. So if you're listening at home, Go back something, anything, back Looting Atlantis, uh, back all of the things and, you know, buy Looting Atlantis. But the rest of them just, you know, throw in a dollar um, so you can get that little check mark and say, yes, another one backed because uh, that's really, really important. And 139, that's a really good number um, because it shows those of us backing that, you know, your stuff. Yeah, I've, that's actually I've, I've backed stuff on my own and just as myself, and I didn't, you know, so there's, there's more on top of that. I, I really didn't appreciate how how much we backed stuff. So, so we either backed a lot of stuff for a dollar, or you have several storage units you don't know about that are completely full of games. <laughs> no, we do, I'm sure. No, we I, we we've backed at full price for a lot of stuff. I don't I don't know how much of what percentage is dollar versus not. I'd have to ask Diane. Actually, I'm but curious now. Either way, it, you know, it, it makes your profile look really good. And that is, I, I, you know, for those at home, I guarantee you savvy backers look at that like first. They look at your title, your main image, and they look at that number. So get on it. Um, now let's talk about your previous forays into Kickstarter. So talk us through it a little bit. You had, uh, yeah, uh, there's, had it was two cards. Yeah, two card games. Uh, well, actually, a card game and an expansion for the card game that. We, we did the card games f- sort of first just because it, we knew they'd be, they were a lower funding threshold and we knew they'd be therefore easier to do. Um, it was also a good way, you know, to learn to make your mistakes on a lower funding threshold. Um, we did um, my wife's game, uh, Legends and Lies, which was about, I think, was 12 years old of I remember at the time of that we started the Kickstarter. It had been played, so it had been received thorough play testing. That's the reason we ran. Uh, the other reason we ran with that is I really liked it a lot as a game and, uh, it's, uh, um, it, you know, it had been played for 12 years, so we kind of had all the bugs worked out. So um, we did that, and we did actually, um, when I miss, one of our first mistakes, one, I don't know, I, I would argue now it's a mistake, I guess, but um, we, one of our stretch goals was an expansion for it, which was probably putting a lot more work on ourselves than we needed to. Um, but then um, we had a second stretch goal of Mysterious Locations expansion that never that we didn't reach. And I guess it was six months later, you, you would know, I guess you probably, you probably got the notes in front of you. Um, the uh, We did the expansion for it, Mysterious Locations as its own expansion, which proved to be a, a better move because it gave us obviously time to fully develop it in, as an expansion. So it looks, it looks a lot different than it would have had we had it been backed as part of it, as a stretch goal for the basic game. And so that was, um, and again, that was a low, you know, it's a card game. So it's a low threshold for, and so it's, and yeah, we learned more things to what to do and not to do. And so looting Atlantis is sort of now going into a board game. It's a higher goal, but it's more of the, you know, we're now, we've hopefully worked out a lot of our, 
our, our bugs as far as we're running an actual Kickstarter. So, so in those previous campaigns, what is you think the best thing that you did during those previous campaigns? Um, I would say just, um, getting word out there, trying to get reviews. And we, we really did that really well this time. We, we've had a lot of practice getting, getting reviews from those two. Um, and we really mastered it here. We really, we planned it ahead, well ahead of time. We kind of went late to the game on that, on the first one. Um, other things, I guess, um, just really, um, getting, trying to just get it, trying to get the, you know, out beyond your 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 normal gaming circles and in uh, outside of your you know try to just get word of mouth out on the game that's the that's i guess the two big things i would say and were there any significant mistakes or things you needed to learn from from those first campaigns oh yeah well, like like i said the first one is uh doing expansions and stretch goals probably not the best idea in the world um the uh, although yeah, I guess if you do like a lot of people do mini expansions, which I guess is a, is a, probably the way to go with that. Um, yeah, get get your reviews well in advance. Um, you know, I, um, one thing I can't emphasize enough is planning, 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 plan ahead before you launch. I mean, looting Atlantis. Uh, I don't know how many months of planning went into it. it. Just it seems like we've been doing it forever at this point. You know, and now that the Kickstarter's gone live, but um, just yeah, you you want to get. Make sure you have all your ducks in a row. You know, have people preview your your website. Um, yeah, and this is not even talking about you know just the play testing of the game. Uh, that that's completely a separate thing. But yeah, just really, really preparation and making sure every your every all your ducks in a row and everything's you know set. And you know, get the reviews. You know, get the reviews set beforehand. Um, you know, quotes. You know have other people who've done Kickstarter successfully look at yours and give you advice, things like that. So now that we've talked about your previous adventures through Kickstarter, let's talk about what's on right now. So the game that we're talking about, the game that is live at the moment, as we speak is called looting Atlantis and Nick, why don't you go ahead and give us all the elevator pitch for looting Atlantis. Okay. In Looting Atlantis, um, you are citizens of Atlantis, and the volcano in the center of Atlantis is has become active. It's erupting. It's destroying. The lava's flowing down. It's destroying everything. It's the end of it's the end of Atlantis. Everyone's fleeing to quote-unquote places like Egypt and China or Mycenae, where they don't even know what electricity is. You and the other players are more forward-thinking Atlanteans who have decided that if you're going to run to these little quote-unquote Podunkville place with your family. You're going to grab as much high tech equipment as you can to set yourself up as wizards in your new home. That's then. So that's the game. <laughs> so you're basically all thieving bastards. Is that the idea? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. I, you know, I, well, I view it as look. If this were really happening, this is what would really happen, right? <laughs> you get people, to, you know, doing that. So that's that's kind of where the game. It's kind of where it's at. So the floodwaters are coming, and you're looting the TV from Shopco. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Except that this is like a you know a TV that is like a holograph projector and has mind control powers or something. Yeah, it's a nice TV. Yeah. So, looting in Lances is on, and it's um, how many for how many players? 
Two to four players. For two to four players. And it is not cooperative, it's competitive. Yep. And let me take a look here. Um, how long has Looting Atlantis been in development? Um, about two years, I'd say. That's, I don't have to think. I'm bad with dates. So two years sounds about right. It might, might be a little longer than that because as I'm getting older, like time is <laughs> compresses in my head more. So it might, might have been longer than that, but I think it's two years. And just for the benefit of those at home, can you guys, can you kind of go through the development process just a little bit for how you got from initial idea to now it's a product that's on Kickstarter and you know you can go buy it? Yeah, um, Looting Atlantis, unlike Born to Serve, flew together very quickly. Um, it, it was a so, again, I have friends, a friend who's a game designer, and he showed me his board that he actually solicited ideas for games for this board this company had they wanted games for. And I looked at it and I just somehow that just the idea of volcano popped in my head. And then I thought, well, volcano, what would you have a volcano going up? And that would be Atlantis. And um, it turns out the game board that he had, I sort of I, I came up with so I came up with the whole idea of looting and I just popped all into my head all at once. Um, so I, I went with set collecting because I knew that was something that would make sense with the idea of trying to grab stuff um, and run. And um but then it was really, I realized the board he had was like too confined for what I was trying to do with the actual set collecting mechanics. So I had to basically engineer my own board completely, um, which really, it was actually proved to be a little easier in this game than you'd think as far because the board's largely a timing mechanism. Um, but it's also, I guess it's not completely a fair statement. It's also a lot of um, placement issues as far as how to, how to lay everything out. Um, it, even though it looks fairly simple once you do it, once you see it, um, the uh, so then it was really just getting at that point it was getting the scoring mechanisms in place and then um, I realized that I wanted the the card the 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 equipment you're getting which is the cards which are the sets you're collecting I realized fairly quickly oh I want these cards if you have this high tech equipment you want to be able to use it right so I, I wanted the cards to have abilities so really the the hardest part of the game apart from getting the scoring mechanisms right on the sets and there was only a few of them that proved to be problematic was um, getting the, then linking up the powers in such a way that, you know, that they sort of correlated with the, the relative, you know, scoring. Some sets scored differently than others and and are better under different circumstances. So you wanted to make sure the powers sort of um, tied in with that or keyed in with that. So, that, you know, like a very powerful set like Fusion Batteries, that the set that has a very potential to be very powerful also has a very powerful ability so that, you know, you have to sort of make a value judgment. Well, you know, I, I can hold on to these and maybe they'll be really valuable, but in the short term, they give me a power that's going to be really awesome. And maybe, maybe I really don't need that fusion battery set after all to go after this, you know, the quantum nullifiers instead of what have you. you know? So for the benefit of, of those listening, let's um, talk just a little bit about the gameplay. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So basically the, the volcano has exploded and right. um, as you go along, the board kind of fills more and more with uh, with lava, uh, which yes. obviously will burn everything in sight. But what you're doing is you're flying around the board and collecting pieces, which, if I'm correct, you can either use right, you know, you can use during your turn for abilities or save to the end for points. And the points are how you win. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, the card. The cards are all victory points at the end of the game, but they're also this. The, and also, the lava is actually placed by players. The first thing you do in your turn is place a lava token on. There's tracks, lava tracks, which are sort of neutral spaces before the lava actually tags a city. 
And then once the lava tags the city, the lava starts flowing through and, you know, wrecking everything in its path, like you said. So you place lava first, then you get your, you fly around with your air car, you get two actions, which an action is either moving your air car or picking up a piece of equipment, which would be the car to the top of the stack at the current location you're at. And um, the, then you can drop, play one piece of equipment, which means discarding it um, on your turn to use it. And discarding it doesn't mean it goes away. Discarding it means it goes at the bottom of the stack at your current location. So you have to make an even further value judgment in that, like, okay, I'm going to use this fusion battery, which potentially has the potential to score awesome points. But in using it to get this awesome power, I'm now leaving it there for in a future turn as the stack gets depleted for someone else to potentially grab it for those awesome points, i.e. someone who's not me. So, you know, you have to sort of balance out that whole there's a there's a lot of thought process going in there. So eventually at the end of the game, all of the cards are either destroyed or owned by someone. Yeah, in someone's possession. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And that's actually when the game stops. The game stops when the last of the equipment cards is off the board, and everyone just scores out at that point. There's also locations you can flee to as well, like like Egypt and stuff. You basically, after you place your lava, if you don't do anything, you can flee to Egypt, China, or Mycenae, depending upon the number of players in the game. And those are worth points in and of themselves. And but they remove but they remove you from the game. But the, the counter to that, so the side thing of that is you're leaving other equipment behind, so you have to make a judgment of like, well. Is that forty points of Egypt worth? Can I get? Can I get more points by hanging out and staying and risking the lava versus fleeing Egypt? Mm-hmm. Now, who do you feel is the ideal audience? I mean, obviously, the you know the first answer is well, everybody. But who is this really directed to? Um, really, sort of. I guess you know. Well, the type of people that play the game, <laughs> the type of games that we play, uh, people play like the Euro style games, like, you know, you know, Alhambra, you know, you know, um, the, whatever the you know, settlers, I guess, more, um, that, that type of crowd, you know, the, the standard Euro player, I would say. Alien, Alien frontiers, that type. Of, yeah. So not something so, as, you know, not something crazy complex. Um, but perhaps something a little more in the middle, more approachable, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Very, it's a very, very simple game, but there's a lot of depth in as far as um, you know interactions and stuff that you have to think about. So, for someone who isn't so much into uh, Euro style games, um, what can you tell that person right now? What's a good reason for them to hop on it and grab Looting Atlantis right now? Well, the um, the most the the best way to sell it that we find to really get people to sell the game is that pe- once people play it, when they play it, they just absolutely love it. Um, it the response to the game has just been overwhelmingly flattering to me, and just it's been overwhelmingly very positive. Um, and I would say what I what I said just a second ago that their their game looks very simple. It's deceptively simple looking. In fact, one of our reviewers actually said that he, when he, the first time he set the game up, he put out all the eighty cards in you know, set it up and said, well, is this all there is to it? And then he started playing and he realized there was a lot of very, you know, thoughtful decision-making and very tough decisions to be made in the game and fell in love with it after that. So really, um, if you like a game where you, you have to sort of, you, you, you have to sort of agonize over decisions about what, you know, what's, what's best in terms of getting you points versus, you know, holding on to those points that, that, and you like that sort of uh, gameplay. That's what I would say. And plus there's also the interactions of the cards. Do you like, you know, 
going after other players with lava versus are trying to mind control uh, cards away from them and stuff like that. Cause the cards allow interactions like that. And speaking of, uh, of reviews uh, for listening at home, definitely, you know, take a look at the page cause we've got some significant reviews on the page. We've got Rado and undead Viking and father geek and, and, you know, definitely some significant voices uh, have played and reviewed looting Atlantis and, What's what for you is the coolest thing about the game? What's the real big hook for you? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I have trouble with this because I, I, you know, when you build a game, it's very much like an engineering project to me, and I have trouble stepping outside of seeing it as an, uh, you know, a bunch of algebra and stuff. Um, but I guess. Kind of the coolest aspect of the game to me, I get. I guess it's. You know, I'm just a geek, so it's a set collecting. The, the 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 different way the sets score and stuff is really my what turns my crank. But I realize I'm probably in a gigantic minority there, or a very small minority, I should say there, because I'm, I'm. That's sort of what I like. But the, the card interact, just to watch it, use effect. I guess the effective how to how to effectively use the card powers. I guess is really what. I should really say because you you can't win the game without using the card powers effectively. I mean, it's because it's, it's, it's very tempting just oh just grab cards, grab cards, hold on to them, hold on to them. But if you don't, if you do that, you're probably not going to win to someone who actually figures out how to make the cards really abilities really work for them. Let's see. That's that's a good answer. A lot of people out there are really into the minutia, so I think that'll definitely appeal to a lot of people. Um, let's talk a little bit about the campaign itself. Now, as we speak, which is, I said at the beginning of the, the show here, the 24th, Thursday, the 24th, um, right. you've got 64 backers and yep. $2,102 uh, towards yep. your $9,300 goal. Now, right. um, for those who, and a lot of people out here are, are in, in this camp, um, that ninety three hundred dollar goal is that a thousand copies? Is that fifteen hundred for your print run? Um, that would be. I believe that's a thousand. I'm pretty sure that's a thousand. Yeah, is the, is the number? That's the number for a thousand. Yeah, that's the number for a thousand. Yes, that's correct. Okay, and that's. Um, am I correct? That's being printed by Ad Magic. Yes, we okay. are going. Excellent. And as of right now, there's 28 days to go. And how much yep. is it for a copy of Looting Atlantis? It's $29. So, tw- which, which does not include shipping, by the way. Which does not include shipping. So $29 uh, will get you a copy of Looting Atlantis. And, and we, you have another level, which is two copies for $48. So you save $5 per copy if you go with that level. There you go. And you save too, because you know, obviously, the shipping is going to be—you're not going to double the shipping to ship two copies. So. Right. So one for you, one for a friend. Um, a nice way to uh, to get your Christmas shopping done early for next year, perhaps. Um, so I was just say, Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> for for like you know, soon. Um, you know, next year. Uh, so yeah, forty-eight dollars will get you a couple of copies of Looting Atlantis. Um, now you've got 28 days to go. What is your strategy over the next 28 days? What is your plan to get from here to the goal? Do you have anything in store? Do you have any other, um, any tricks up your sleeve or things to, to get the locomotive going? 
Oh yeah, we're we're going to be doing um, an unpub event this Saturday. We're we're basically doing events literally. I think every weekend of the Kickstarter, where we'll be showing the game at various game stores or different um, or friend, you know, different gaming locations, and that that's uh, so literally every weekend we'll be showing the game. You know, trying to and you know, hopefully picking up uh, backers at each of those events. Are you going to bring a computer that's uh, that's set up to be like right on the page? Oh, that's actually probably not a bad idea. My wife's got a pad. We should probably bring that. You can do the pad or, you know, uh, a lot of phones, especially, you know, a lot of smartphones these days, um, you can just use those as a Wi-Fi hotspot. So you can set up your your hotspot right there, get your computer right on the table. So when someone plays the game, they're like, hey, I'd love to, to get this game. You can say, well, there you go and open up your computer and have them pledge. Um, right. It's a little obnoxious, but you know you got to get people in the door. Yeah, well, it's yeah. You're, we're, we are trying to, to fund the Kickstarter here. So. Exactly, it's it pull out all the stops. Now, if someone <laughs> listening at home, uh, pretending to work, is on the fence about pledging, what can you say to them just to get it right now? Just hop on right now and pledge for looting Atlantis. Hmm. Um. I would I would say um, to, to every, the, the like I said before the response to the game has been overwhelming. The re, in fact the reason we this game jumped the queue over Born to Serve was because when we play tested it, there's a local event called Metatopia. It's a sort of a play test convention that you go to and you get play testers to play your games. And um, it, the, it, the response to it was so positive at Metatopia that we basically Diane was basically convinced all right yeah you, you know you're right we've got to do looting atlantis first because everyone seems to love it people who played it at metatopia literally played a second game immediately after the first one and w- wanted to play a second game immediately after the first one so there you, you know. go at home if you're thinking about it go do it because this is, game is so great that you want to play it again immediately afterwards yeah, it's funny too because when you see when I see that happen because we've seen it happen in a, a, quite a few times at this point, it's really funny because initially the initial game, you know, like as I said, you're placing the lava, and, and the first game tends to always be the people are very conservative. The lava tends to hang out in the volcano, takes forever to get to Atlantis, and once they do that that nice friendly sort of game, the second game, lava goes beelines the city. You know, quarter of Atlantis is gone before you know what's going on. It's just total chaos at that point. So that's uh, it. Just seems to be this reproducible event that that we've seen a bunch of times. So if you ever wanted to dip your friends or family in boiling hot lava, this is a good opportunity to do so. Actually, we do we do surveys right for our for the for some of these events, and um, they actually have one of the questions is like. What what is uh what was your fa- yeah I ask you little things like what's your favorite part of the game and one of the consistent things we get is burning people with lava. <laughs> it's, it's a pastime <laughs> for the whole family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now as we're uh, as we're wrapping up here as we're we're nearing the end, is there anything about the game or the campaign or anything uh, that we haven't covered that you really would like people to know before we end? Um, I think I think we've covered everything. Uh, but like I said, I just I would just want to reiterate that the game is deceptively simple looking. It just you know it's it's you know it, I mean it's a real a lot of people just look at it and say oh this looks you know like a child's game almost and it really really is not. It's it's a really a gamer's game and I designed it with that in mind and you know gamers seem to love it and so that's what I would say. So there you go. If you're a gamer and I don't 
really know why you'd be listening to this if you weren't. But if you are, go, go. The Kickstarter page link is right on the uh, on the show notes here, and go look at Looting Atlantis. And if someone uh, is inspired and, and needs to needs to speak with you immediately, um, how can you be reached? Uh, where are you on the interwebs? Um, yeah, we are on Twitter is at, at Shoot Again Games. Um, and um, you can go to uh, shootagaingames.com as our website. So there you go. There you have it, folks. Looting Atlantis. It's on Kickstarter right now, as long as you're not listening to this way too late. But go find the <laughs> Kickstarter page, pledge for a copy. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining me this evening. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. And you have been listening to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition. I've been your host, Paul Koska. Thank you for checking out United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Geeky Voyage, a geek and pop culture blog that explores a variety of fandoms and many pop culture favorites from film, television, music, and various other topics with liberal doses of humor, quirky musings, and heavy fangirling thrown in. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.